0: Our psalm of the day is Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O oh my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O oh Lord, are my hope, my trust, O oh Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of my old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My youth, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteous acts, O God, Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre. O Holy One of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall.
1: Our Old Testament lesson is found in Isaiah 46, beginning in verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save to whom will you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse, and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift, they lift it to their shoulders, and they carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one carry, cries to it, it does not answer, or save him from his trouble." calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. This is the word of the Lord. Be God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask for your presence this morning. Ask that you would give us insight into these, your scriptures. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law and teach us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, uh, I'm not wearing a bow tie this morning because it was hot and uh, I, I could not handle it. Uh, so please forgive me for those of you who have been accustomed to not seeing my neck. Uh, but we're, we're going to be in Psalm 71 this morning, continuing our series, uh, looking at God as a refuge. Uh, discussing how God is a refuge for the weary and the exhausted. And uh, as we begin, I, I heard a story recently about an army sergeant. I was watching the news. I uh, won't tell you who it was, Megan Kelly. Uh, on Wednesday, and uh, she was discussing um, uh, a, a story about folks, uh, men and women, who returned from the battlefield. And she was talking about a particular. She was speaking to a particular man. He was an army sergeant named Brian Hood, and he was willing to open up about his story and his story of struggling with entering back into American society after spending years uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. He did a couple of tours in Iraq from 2003 to 2004, and then after he got out of the army, he contracted with the federal government from 05 to 2012. And in 2012, he was injured. He was no longer able to, uh, to, to return uh, to, to Iraq or Afghanistan or, uh, or contract with the, the federal government, and he had to come home, and he had to stay home. He wasn't able to go back. Um, and, his, and in his, his words, as he was... Adjusting to society, he says that there was a disconnect. There was a disconnect between he and his family and his children. There was a disconnect between he and society, the society that he entered back into. He felt meaning and purpose when he was fighting battles, when he was engaging in uh, the brotherhood that he discussed. And then he came home and felt a disconnect. He felt a lack of meaning, he felt a lack of purpose. And in an attempt to fill some sort of void, he started a CrossFit gym. Now if you're unfamiliar with CrossFit, it is uh, an extreme version of exercise that anyone my size should never engage in. Uh, And it mixes like weightlifting with body weight exercises with cardiovascular exercises and does it in a timed uh, run and you're competing against each other and there's now a big competition on ESPN. Um, and, and then after a few years of, of running this gym and dealing with human beings, he had just had enough. He, uh, he, he came to the end of a day close down the gym and went home and told his wife, I'm done. Looked at his wife in the eyes and said, I'm done. And then he goes on to say, you know, I, I wasn't suicidal. He said, I wouldn't, never, I wouldn't do that, but I had just had enough. i had had enough of life. And he said, if a Mack truck came and hit me that day, I'd be okay. He, he was done. Friends, he was weary and he was burdened. He was exhausted with trying to find meaning and purpose in life. He was done. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there now where you want to go home and tell your spouse, I'm done. You want to self-medicate and you want to escape. Maybe you know what that feels. And maybe you're there now. The psalmist here in Psalm 71 can identify with that feeling. With that experience of being done. He sums up his situation in verses 9 to 11. He says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Friends, his strength is, has been spent now, if we take this to be David, uh, which, which I would argue it is, uh, he has, he's coming to the end of his life, and he has seen a whole lot of battle. He's seen a whole lot of difficulty. And he continues to have enemies surrounding him. He's coming to the end of his life, and his strength is spent He says, for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. Friends, not only is he coming towards the end of his life and weary, but he continues to have those enemies surrounding him. And so he's tempted to despair. He's tempted to want to escape, to tell his family that he's done. But he makes clear in verses 1 to 3 that refuge is not found in that escape. Refuge is not found in self-medicating. Refuge is not found in telling everyone that I'm done after your exhaustion. He says in verses 1 through 3 that refuge is rooted in the righteousness of God. That refuge for the weary is found in God and in his righteous acts. He says in you O Lord do not do I take refuge in the midst of his exhaustion and his weariness he says in you O Lord I take refuge let me not be put to shame in your righteousness deliver me and rescue me incline your ear to me and save me be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come you have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress friends, he's telling us and telling the Israelites of old that rest and refuge for the weary soul is not in escape, it's not in self-medicating, and it's not in, uh, in, in the midst of the exhaustion. Friends, refuge is found in God, in his righteousness, in the midst of our exhausting times. And so what does this righteousness mean? He in the Bible, God's righteousness is not merely his, like, his character. It's not merely uh, discussing who, who God is. It's not just a character value, but it's actually an activity. Righteousness means that God acts rightly and justly all the time. It means that God engages with a broken world in just the right way. In a just way. And the psalmist is calling on God's righteousness and his activity to engage a people who are rebelling against him, to deliver and save and provide salvation. And he's trusting that his refuge is in that righteousness, that his refuge is found and rooted in the righteousness of God. And so we're just going to ask the question how does God act in Psalm 71? If it is the righteousness of God that our refuge is found, and righteousness is an activity of God, how does he act for a man or woman, for you who are weary this morning, how does God act for you? Well, first, God delivers you. Hear what the psalmist says. He asks for a present deliverance in verse 4. He says, "'Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man.'" He's asking for a present deliverance for those who are still on him, seeking to shame him. And then in verse 13, he realizes that God also acts in the future. And he says, may, may my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. And then in verse 24, he looks to the past at, at how God has delivered him. He says, my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Friends, there is a very uh, present reality of God's deliverance. Yes, there is a, a past and a future deliverance that God will offer to us. There's a past deliverance in the cross of Jesus, where He has uh, He He worked the hardest uh, of miracles for us, where He took onto Himself sin and shame, that we would be freed from sin's guilt and from sin's shame and from sin's power. There's a very present, or there's a very there's a future deliverance that God will give us when He comes to make all things right, when He will rightly judge the living and the dead. But there is also a very present reality of God's deliverance. He's so kind that he not only acts in the past, he's he's so kind that he not only acts in the future, but he acts currently to deliver us from harm. If you think hard enough, I guarantee that you can think in your life how God has delivered you from harm. I can recall one of those seasons for me. There was a season when I was debating uh, doing college ministry, uh, and it was a very short season, um, but it was a season nonetheless. Uh, And it wasn't with RUF, so uh, I'm not discussing college ministry with RUF, but uh, if I had been hired on by this college ministry, I would have been working with a particularly unhealthy human being. Uh, with an unhealthy dude Uh, he had hurt some people in the in in the past uh, as he was doing college ministry and he then went on to do some more harm uh, in uh, to some other folks uh, and and I would have been a part of that had I continued down that path but God halted that track that I was on he halted even that desire Uh, and he he particularly halted it at a uh, a a conference that I was at, where I met the youth director at First Presbyterian Church Augusta. His name was Jay, uh, and I came. Uh, I ended that conversation with Jay, thinking I want to work with that dude. And so I did, uh, not exactly, because he went to seminary uh, as I was entering staff uh, at that church. Uh, it was, but, but he continued to be a good friend. He was still present in Augusta while I was there and he and I had coffee and lunch on occasion and he became a good friend who helped me through some difficult seasons in life. He loved me well and God God delivered me. God had protected me from harm that could have been done, that was done to other people. And not only that, but he also gave me a good friend in the midst of it who continues to be a good friend. And so friends... I ask you to keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open to the ways God delivers you. Yes, remember that great victory that Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection and ascension. Yes, look ahead to that deliverance that God will provide for us when he comes back to make all things new. But also keep your eyes open to the way God delivers you from harm here. Now, that doesn't mean that all of life will go well all the time. But he is a God who is constantly present. The psalmist is not jesting when he calls on God to rescue him in the present. And so God delivers, but also God empowers. God empowers us to faithfulness and to perseverance. Look in verses 5 and 6. He says, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. He looks back beyond the recesses of his memory to recall how God has empowered his faithfulness and his perseverance. And this is more than just a, an experiential recollection, as if the, the psalmist is saying, look, look what I've done. Look how I've committed myself to you. Now, this is like this is a real theological recollection. He's taking this grasp of who God is and the grasp of God's big story and how he works, and he's taking his life and putting it into that story of God's faithfulness, of God's covenant faithfulness. When he's making a covenant with whole families, he makes a covenant with Israel, and he says... Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. He's he's recalling how God calls him and has called him from before his birth. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 1 when he says and proclaims that he chose us in Christ from before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He's proclaiming God's commitment to his covenant promises. And friends, we do the same thing every time we baptize a child. Every time Chuck stands here and he, does, uh, he uh, does what he calls the covenant walk down the center aisle, he's proclaiming to that child and he's proclaiming to us God's commitment. God's commitment to empowering you to faithfulness when you place your faith in him. And so God is more committed to your perseverance than you are. He's more committed to you than you are committed to you. And then in verses 17 to 21, he proclaims God's faithfulness into his old age. Listen to what he says, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the high heavens. You have done great things, O God. Who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. You will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Now, there's a tendency for us to read verses like verse 21 as if he's boasting, as if he's self-justifying, as if he is proclaiming his own good works and his own capacity to increase but that's not what he's doing at all he's proclaiming that God's righteousness reaches to the heavens he's proclaiming that God is the one who has acted to encourage him and to empower him to faithfulness he's proclaiming that God acts rightly and he's a God who empowers the psalmist to faithfulness and so in light of that he's requesting that God continues to act rightly. He's asking that God would not forsake him because he's the God who has empowered him. And so his boast is not in himself. His boast is not in his capacity to, to endure. His, his boast is not in his capacity of faithfulness. His boast is in God's capacity and compassion to empower him to persevere. And so friends, what's your boast? When you lay your head down at night, When you come to that season in life when the end is near, what is your boast and what is your rejoice? Do you rejoice in yourself? Do you rejoice in your accomplishments? Or do you look outside yourself to God who empowers you, who empowers your faithfulness? And lastly, uh, for you saints who are weary, God not only delivers, he not only empowers, but he also guides he guides you through life. He shows us the way he wants us to live in his world through his scriptures, through his word. But he also shows us through his saints, through those Christians who are surrounding our lives. He, uh, that's one of the, the functions of the church, is that we would be a community of saints, of broken individuals who are teaching other broken individuals how to live who are giving wisdom to other people and what it means to live a faithful life in the midst of God's broken world. He says uh, in verses 7 and 8, I've been a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Now, if you're like me, you look at the word portent and you think, man, those translators missed a word. Uh, but uh, when you look it up, it, it actually means sign. The word portent is, uh, is just the translation of a Hebrew word that means sign. I have been a sign to many. And it may be a sign of warning, or it may be a sign of encouragement. Maybe, a sign, uh, maybe the psalmist is uh, a sign of, uh, of warning to the community. That if you continue in your rebellion and your sin, then life will not go well with you. Or maybe he's a sign of encouragement. At what God does for those who place their faith in him. Who offer themselves to God in service. And if this is David, we know exactly what kind of sign he was. He was both a sign of warning and a sign of encouragement. All at the same time. We all know his story of, uh, with Bathsheba. And he knows it and constantly can recall it to memory. He's a sign of warning of what it means to rebel against God. But he's he's also the man after God's heart who offered himself in service of God. So he's both a sign of encouragement and a sign of warning in the community. Either way, he concludes, God is my strong refuge. And then in verses 15 to 18, he says this, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. He's he's saying, I will remind everyone around me of your righteousness, of your faithfulness. And then he says, O God, from my youth you have taught me and and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, God, do not forsake me. Until what? Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. See, friends, he's committing himself towards the end of his life to continuing to tell the next generation of the faithfulness of God. And so he offers himself as a guide, as a mentor to those younger than him, to those who are in seasons far removed from him that he has already gone through. So friends, what type of sign are you? What type of sign are you to the next generation? What type of sign are you to the people around you? The church functions as guides for us. Are you a sign of warning? Are you a sign of encouragement? Either way, you play a vital role in the church to Push people and encourage people to find their refuge when they're weary in the righteousness of God. But in order to know that, or in in order to to point people to rest and refuge in God, you have to know people. And not only know people, but you have to be known. You have to know their stories. You You have to know what makes them tick. Those stories that they have experienced all along the way. And you also have to share your own. You have to offer yourself as a guide. You have to offer your stories of God's faithfulness. Ladies, uh, if you have successfully, or even not so successfully, sent children to college, I know there is a whole generation of young moms who desperately need your help, who desperately need your wisdom, And and maybe they don't always need your advice, but they need your presence. They need your care. They need your comfort and your compassion. They need you to offer stories of God's faithfulness in the midst of crying babies and exhausting nights. Gentlemen, there is a whole generation of young men who desperately need to know how to love God who desperately need to know how to love our families who desperately need to know what it's like to be to remain faithful in the workplace when there's compromising situations we need your wisdom we need your stories we need you to offer yourself as a guide a guide to teach us how to live in God's broken world a guide to take God's word and apply it to our lives because sometimes it's just too hard to do it ourselves. And sometimes we don't know how to do it. And so we need your wisdom. We need your faithfulness. And so friends, God in his kindness acts to deliver us. He acts to empower us. And he also acts to guide us this life into uh, in living in a broken world. And I'll close with this. Uh, Cassie and I were on our way to Atlanta uh, for General Assembly uh, in the middle of June, uh, and one of the ways that we survive car rides is, uh, is to listen to audiobooks. Uh, it kind of doles out the constant screaming of the baby and the constant need for food uh, from the toddler. And, uh, and, and Cassie had heard of a particularly good book. Uh, it was called Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me. That's an interesting title. Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me. I would encourage you to, to, re- to write it down and read it uh, in your spare time. Uh, it's, a, it's the memoir of, a, of an Episcopal priest named Ian Cron. And it's a memoir that looks back on his life growing up with an alcoholic father who it also turns out worked for the CIA. Really? And during his memoir, you learn of a lady named Nanny. And as you can guess, she was the family Nanny. She was British. She was seasoned and salty. She had great one-liners. But she had become somewhat of a refuge for Ian. Ian. Ian was the youngest of his siblings, and, uh, and his father's alcoholism turned uh, quite ugly uh, when he was in middle school and high school when his brothers were, uh, were, were getting out of the house. And Nanny had become a refuge for him. She offered her home as uh, a place of refuge and solace. Sometimes uh, his brother would would. Uh, had heard that his dad had had a, was having a particularly bad evening, and he would sit and wait for, his son, wait for his brother Ian in the driveway, and he would pick him up and take him over to Nanny's. So Nanny would let him sleep on her couch, and she would be a refuge for him. And upon her death, uh, Ian reflects with these words. He says, Nanny died one month before I turned 24. My mother sat on the edge of her hospital bed and held her hand as she slipped into the heart of God. Minutes after Nanny died, my mother removed her cat-eye glasses and gave them to me. I've kept them in the top drawer of my bedside table for 25 years. I suspect they will remain there for the rest of my life. What those cat-eye glasses represented for Ian was that there was a refuge. There was a refuge for him in the midst of his weariness, in the midst of his difficulty, in the midst of his despair. And what Psalm 71 represents for us and what we have the privilege of representing to one another is that refuge is rooted in the righteousness of God. And he is a God who acts. A God who acts to deliver us. God who acts to empower us. And a God who acts to guide us. Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you that you are a God who does deliver, that you are a God who empowers, that you don't leave us to ourselves to wander aimlessly in this world, but guide us. So, Lord, we ask for your continued provision. We ask that we would seek our rest and our refuge, not in ourselves, not in escape, not in self-medicating but would we find it by engaging a living God who offers to us safety and refuge? We ask in the name of Jesus, amen.